everyone. Welcome to The Far Shore. I'm James. Hello, everybody. I'm Andy, and it's nice to be back, James, again after another week or two off. <laughs> I know. Well, I think this is our new summer schedule. Um, yeah. I think I think probably for those of you that, you know, rely on The Far Shore being out weekly, uh, I'm afraid for the summer, it's going to be a little bit more irregular, let's say. Are we gonna? Are we not gonna have like a big season finale and then come back in the autumn for the second season of of the Far Shore? Is that is we're we gonna do that? Well, we'll have to work on like some kind of cliffhanger. So <laughs> yes. we'll have to be. We'll have to think about that. So some kind of cliffhanger to keep people, you know, coming back for the second season, and do the typical TV thing, which is have a cliffhanger and then cancel the second season. So there's no. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I feel like that. that happens all the time. Megan and I will watch <laughs> some kind of show and we'll be getting into it and then, you know, get to the cliffhanger and then I'll go online. And at that point, I'll find out that the season has been canceled. It's been so, canceled. Um, yeah. I had that happened with me. I was watching, what was, I can't remember what the name was now, something on yeah. Netflix about- you have, um, be, you have to be careful. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think, this, I think you'd, you'd like this one. It was about, uh, what was it? People from the future could come back in the past if that oh. person had died and yeah. take over that person, and they're kind of yeah. like all undercover, and they were yes, yes, like yes, working yes. to yeah. What's yeah, it was called? a Canadian. It was a Canadian TV show. Yeah. I can't remember what it was it's called, really but we watched the oh, same thing. Now. Yeah, and they also cancelled yeah. that. Yes. yes. Yeah, after like yeah, the second season. Yeah, that's a great example. That's yeah. a great example. Just so I think they tried to wrap it up at the end. Yeah, they had like tried to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, but failed. Miserably. So it's like, man, I wanted that to go on for a while. I know, that was a good show. Well, hopefully that's how people feel about the far shore too. Like, <laughs> I wanted that to go on for a while. <laughs> and we will. We have no plans to cancel. No plans to not cancel yet. right now. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So, and anyway, by the time this podcast comes out, Andy, we will find ourselves in a state of um, exaltation or oh, depression. Um, so tomorrow, for, for Andy and I, tomorrow morning, we're going to be... Uh, watching England versus Germany, uh, a big Euro team game coming up. Um, so, and I think I'm the pessimist and you're the optimist. Is that right, Andy? Or are we both pessimistic? Well, can't... no, usually, usually with England, we're both pessimists. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just, realists. The, just the, yeah, realists. Well, just for our American listeners, there is a lot of history between England and Germany, not just on a football pitch. So this is a big... This is a big game, and usually England always loses to the Germans, usually on penalties. Yeah, unless so it's a friendly, whether... unless it's yeah. a friendly or a game that doesn't matter, and then England does quite well. So, <laughs> in fact, I think there was a famous victory where England won five-one. I think that was back it in was. like two thousand and one. Yeah, I want I remember, to say. I remember. I remember it. <laughs> I think I had that on VHS. I have that game on VHS. <laughs> in fact, Andy, I was in Africa at that time. And my mum sent me the VHS to Africa the and I watched it on a, on a TV co- connected to a generator in the middle of the rainforest wow. in northern Kenya. Uh, we don't have those missionary, <laughs> we don't have those missionary stories anymore, do we? It's all about, we well, know. the yeah. internet went out for a day, so I couldn't watch the highlights on YouTube, but then I, I found them. That's right. I know. My <laughs> yeah. life is very much, very much unexciting, unexciting these days. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway but there we go so today andy we are talking about husband i was actually going to call this episode husbandry and then i realized that lots of vets would be looking up and it wouldn't work so uh yeah. but today we're talking about uh being a husband or husbands in general uh, and i right. think actually as you find as people listen today they're going to kind of find that uh 
probably we're not just talking about what it means to be a Christian husband. We're actually talking about the problem of men, mm. basically the problem of Christian <laughs> men in the church. Well, are there too, too, are there too few of them or too many of them? I haven't worked out. <laughs> too many. Yeah, well, they're just not just not that good. That's the problem. So <laughs> but anyway, and so we're not we're specifically talking about husbands. We're not talking about marriage today. If we're talking about marriage, then we'd have to have Rosie and Megan on. So we're not allowed to talk about marriage no. without our wives here, but we can talk about <laughs> being husbands. But just to warn people, um, I, I don't know how you listen to the far shore, if you just have it on in the kitchen. But again, we're going to be talking about some more kind of adult themes today. Nothing, oh nothing that requires an explicit tag, uh, but maybe some things that maybe if you have your kids around that you don't want to have to have the sit down conversation and be like, what, what does this mean, mommy? Or what does this mean, daddy? Um, so anyway, just fair, or, fair warning. Or, or, perhaps, or perhaps you do, and you're just trying to find that opportune moment to to break that with your kids so so just leave the podcast on <laughs> so yeah don't listen to andy don't listen to terrible advice anyway andy why don't we uh why don't we get into it now andy last night i was doing some research um about this kind of topic about husbands and Unfortunately, I found some really depressing stats. It was one of those things where you're just on your way to bed and you decide to look something up and then you look up something rabbit super depressing. Hole. You go down some <laughs> rabbit hole and you're like, why did I look at this before trying to go to sleep? So, so I was just interested um, and I was wondering, as we talk about being a husband, um, from my own experience growing up, I grew up um, in a single parent family. My uh, mm. dad was a church leader who had an affair and left the family. Mm. At the time when that happened back in the 80s uh, or early 90s, I guess it was, uh, it was kind of unusual. Um, but these days, it seems to be a very common story. Most of mm. the people that I know uh, will have it, either experienced it in their own lives or at least know a family where that has happened. Mm. And oftentimes it seems like it happens a lot with church leaders, for example, um, where some male church leader uh, suddenly shocks the world uh, by yeah. having an affair uh, and kind of leaving the church and the faith. So anyway, I kind of knew these stories and personal experience, but I wondered, is there actually what, you know, is there any kind of empirical evidence for this too? So that's the rabbit hole I went down last night. Oh my, okay. Um, so what did you find down the rabbit hole, James? So I was, first of all, I looked at the Pew Research Center. So that's the kind of big uh, research center in the US that does lots and lots of different interviews and census mm. data and c collects basically information about everything you want to. Um, so they were, I was looking at the divorce rates among religious groups. Mm. Um, so Amongst Protestant Christians, uh, they have the highest divorce rate. Do you want to take a guess at what percentage you think that would be? Oh, the percentage of all Protestant marriages, how many end in, in divorce? Yeah. 40%. 51%. Wow. So, yeah. so more than half. More than half. Majority. The majority. The majority. The majority. Yeah. That's <laughs> By one percent. But still, yeah. 1%. You know, more than half. Um, and so anyway, so left. then they. Anyway. 
So this is mostly U- these are U.S. stats too. So this is in the U.S. Mm, but you yeah, know, yeah. Um, so then they what they do is they break that down into denominations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and then each denomination has a percentage. There's lots of statistics. Um, so the worst denomination um, is actually the evangelical Protestants, those that consider themselves born again Christians. Wow. Uh, and their divorce rate is twenty eight percent. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it really yeah, is. What a wake-up call that is. Yeah, it is. And and within that, and this is where it gets really interesting. So if you then look at that statistic within kind of born again Christians, and yeah. you look at the generations, so what generation is it happening the most in? Right. So it's happening most in the baby boomer generation. So the baby right. boomer generation, just so you know, is those born from 1946 to 1964. So that's your and my parents. Yeah, um, parents. So yeah, 60s, so, 60s and overs, right, at the moment? Yeah. And right? then the generation generation X, which is 1965 to 1980. So which yes. is that kind of next generation of, of parents yeah. um, behind us, basically, the kind of generation yeah. above us. So why I thought that was interesting, Andy, is because... We as husbands, um, we've both been married. I've been married 14 years. How long have you been married, Andy? Oh, thanks for putting me on the spot, James, especially because my anniversary is coming up. Actually, it's, it's, it's mine and Rosie's anniversary of our of, of dating today, 17 years. Oh, wow. Of, you know, of dating. dating. But right, yeah, no, that's crazy, isn't it? But marriage will be just stalling for time, just doing the maths in my head, 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, that's wrong. No, it's no, it's right. It's right. Twelve years. 12 years. Excellent. Rosie's going to listen to this, and she's going to hold you accountable. <laughs> but you're so going to cut re- out all of that lag time of thinking. Oh no, right? no, I'm actually going to oh, leave no. that in for once. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is you think about like um, when you're married and when you're a husband, you're looking to those that have gone before you uh, mm. to set like a model for what it means to be a good husband. But the yep. issue that we're finding now is that we look at the generations above us. There's a really real failure um, and yep. across the spectrum on, on what it means to be a husband. Yep. And so that's the kind of like rabbit hole that I went down last night. Yeah. So then I started asking myself a question. Why do I think or why is there a failure in, mm. in that generation? And what can we learn from those failures um, so that we, our generation and the generations behind us don't follow in those footsteps too. Yeah, because um, just, just my initial thought, James, from, from just from hearing those stats was that perhaps it's not, it, it sounds like a generational thing, but it probably isn't. The, the danger is, is that when our generation gets to that age, perhaps we'll also be seeing those same divorce rates. And I think it's what, what it speaks more, more to me is that these are people whose perhaps children have grown up, they've, they've left home, and then suddenly the man and wife are on their own again together. They've, they've raised the kids, and perhaps somewhere along the way of the whole messiness of, of raising a family is that they've, they've lost the connection with their partner. So I think that is that's uh, that definitely is a, a warning shot to me, as I am the father of of two young children and about to, you know, get into teenage years and all the messiness of all that, and perhaps 
you know, mine and Rosie's attention will be always focused on the kids and making sure that we're bringing them up to then as soon as they leave home and go to uni and get jobs, we've suddenly, we've lost each other. And that's, yeah, that's a real danger, isn't and, it? And I think that, I think that may be, I think that may be part of it, Andy. I think what's, mm. what's kind of, what's kind of depressing, and I guess this first part of the discussion is just a lot of kind of bad news, is that a lot yeah. of the time, um, what leads to divorce is, is infidelity. Mm. Um, so, yeah, irrespective of the age of the children. Um, oftentimes mm. divorce can happen actually why children are still in the home I think there really yeah. is an issue like you said where the focus on the children the children leave home and the relationship breaks down not because of infidelity but because of just relational breakdown but unfortunately yeah. um, infidelity is a real problem uh, within the church uh, mm. and that was part of that rabbit hole last night too was then I particularly wanted to look at just from my own experience you know my my father was a leader in the church he was an elder well respected um you know that seems to be a more common thread if you look up uh, online if you just went and looked up scandals within the church uh, a, yeah. a depressing google search to do uh, you will be inundated with 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 results and there's been some high profile um, scandals within the last year within the evangelical yeah. world um, and you know and there's there's within the the catholic church as well there's been you know some really high profile scandals and in fact there's a website that's actually dedicated to kind of keeping track um, of these kind of scandals and sexual abuse oh. within the church um, and if you go on that website it's called bishopaccountability.org again it's a very depressing read as yeah. across the world, more and more accounts of abuse um, come out. Mm. Um, within the within the Protestant Church, um, there's this book called it's called The Fallen Pastor. It was written by a guy called Ray Carroll. I haven't read the whole book. I just pulled out some statistics from the book. Ray Carroll was a guy that was a pastor, um, had an affair, and kind of this is kind of the book he's writing about it. Um, mm. and he did some statistics um, um, and these were these were based these were quite small sample sizes but I guess it's worse that the small sample sizes um, yeah. so so he found that 33 percent of pastors admitting to crossing the line with a woman who is not their spouse um, mm. another study said that 11 pastors so 11 men in ministry roles 11 percent sorry um, committed adultery wow. and uh, so there was another uh, study he went to too which is they interviewed like 277 southern baptist pastors uh, and 14 percent had inappropriate sexual activity and 10 percent had had sexual relations with a present or former member of the church that wasn't their spouse That's crazy. and and the depressing thing about that andy is those are the people that were honest I was, gonna, I was just about to say that. And those are the only so, people who actually told, told the truth. <laughs> told the truth. Yeah, I always joke. I sometimes say this sometimes when I, you know, a couple of times where I've done like talks to men or stuff like that. We talked about lust or issues of pornography. I say something like 95% of men uh, struggle with lust. 5% of men lie about it. Lie. Um, yeah. It's like, you know, it's just it's just one of those things. So again, I, I read those those statistics and I'm like, we have a big issue. Yeah, no, crazy statistics. Um, and I think it, it's, well, 
if it isn't a wake-up call, it should definitely be, because these are stats that have been around the church for a long, long time. Um, and I think they're quite comparable to, to marriages outside of the church as well. So, um, so I think we as Christians, we can't suddenly think that because we have a relationship with God that will, you know, completely bulletproof our marriage or relationships that it, mm -hmm. it won't and yeah. so yeah that's very sad sad reading and it and it's definitely something that that we need to be uh, looking at within the church and within ourselves yeah there was uh you know there was this um only you forever.com it's like a marriage counseling website again i'm just giving the reference of where i got the information from rather than recommending these these websites um so there was a counseling website and they were had an article about infidelity and they were talking about the kind of nine reasons um, mm. why infidelity happens uh, in men in kind of the Christian world, uh, especially Christian leaders and things like that, too. Um, so they listed these nine, nine reasons. Um, and actually, it's funny. I, I read two books recently. Um, I read a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Um, Good. So it's written by a guy called Chuck de Groot. And I, we should talk about narcissism sometime because it is a real issue and it's related to this issue <laughs> with is, men. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also read another book called A Church Called Tov. Uh, Tov is the, uh, is it the Hebrew word for goodness or kindness, I think. Anyway, uh, it was written by Laura Barringer and Scott McKnight. Uh, and they're talking about the, um, the problem of abuse within the church too. And actually both those books echo this uh, website, um, this website's nine reasons. So the nine mm. kind of reasons uh, that they say infidelity happens within men is number one is power. Mm. Um, so the idea that, that, you know, the lust for power, basically the lust to be in control and control mm. of the people. Uh, number two is opportunity. Um, so putting yourselves in places where the opportunity uh, can arise. Um, number three is narcissism. So and that's actually, again, that's a whole podcast within itself, the, the, the issue of, of narcissism. And it's kind of a combination of, of power uh, and control and self-absorption and basically some of the other reasons that are on this list. Uh, number four is desire for instant gratification. Number five is a lack of discipline or self-control. Number six is false feelings of invincibility. Uh, you know, that was a funny one because oftentimes when you hear about the scandals um, that happen within church, oftentimes people will say things like, oh, I would never have believed this or, you know, this can't be real or true or all these things yeah. too. So oftentimes those feelings of invincibility are created by the church culture itself that people yeah, are in. Yeah. Uh, delusions of grandeur, the rules mm -hmm. don't apply to you. Um, corroding family or marital relationships. That's kind of what you yeah. mentioned about for example, focused on the kids, kids leave home, the relationship's yeah. broken down. And then finally, the justification of selfish choices. So coming up with reasons why an affair or leaving yeah. your wife is, is, is the right thing to do. And actually, it's yeah. so funny, Andy, I've had multiple occasions um, where if you ever try and talk to uh, men that have been leaving um, their wives, um, mm. there is always justification. Um, mm. 
there is always reasoning which makes no sense and sometimes it can be this weird spiritual reasoning for example if god didn't want this to happen he wouldn't mm. have brought this into my life oh, uh, my again totally total bonkers yeah. justification but it's but yeah. it's true yeah um so yeah so there you go so i didn't sleep well last night <laughs> <laughs> It's just like you said. It just it's it's just really really sad reading. Um, yeah. But I wonder also. I wonder how what we as the church what we can be doing better to to help support not just husbands but but wives. You know, in in their in their marriages. Um, it seems to yeah. me quite a lot of the marriage courses that are put on at churches seem to be quite trivial trivial and don't really hit the mark um, yeah well and oftentimes as well the marriage courses can be led by people that it ends up that they weren't actually put into practice in the first place going on the statistics of, yeah. of what's going on there or yeah. you're looking you're looking for a mentor couple you're looking for a mentor older couple and you're let down um because it turns out that they're yeah not as well not as good as you were looking to so well isn't that just it just fits the evangelical m mold of not practicing what you preach and that's basically yeah. what evangelicals do we're more bothered about what comes out of our mouths that we are saying the right things that we are orthodox that we are you know upholding yeah. whatever biblical teaching it is that we're trying to uphold but actually in our actions we can be you know, sure going straight dead against it um, yeah well i think we're blind we, we can be blind and all of us guilty of this we're blind to our hypocrisy yeah. so you know um it's not that we shouldn't be hypocrites because i don't think we can we're always going to be hypocrites when we're trying to live up to the calling that christ has given us but we're blind to our hypocrisy or we try and mm. cover up our hypocrisy yeah uh, within that too or we think the rules are somehow different for us yeah um so and a, yeah and I was, I was just going to say that I was just trying to think about how, you know, what can I do? We can do as as lowly, non-powerful members of the church, but actually we are yeah. both quite powerful in our own ways. What we can do to try and protect against it, and and as usual on the far shore, we always big up, you know, discipleship and relationships and 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 having people with which you can talk to and and be real with. And I think being real and authentic and transparent is perhaps goes back to that list of pastors and people in positions of authority. Perhaps they sometimes they don't feel like they can be real with people because it can it will it will smash the it will smash the image of of what they have created themselves to be of these charismatic perfect people and 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 they can't be real with anyone. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think maybe, like you say, it comes back to that culture where have we developed a culture of in our churches and of Christianity where the expectation is perfection? Like we've forgotten that, mm. um, you know, the message of the gospel is that we are inherently broken people yeah. um, who are saved by grace, by, by something that we didn't do um, mm. and are called to live a life differently but our inherent brokenness is, is not changed. So this idea that, that I somehow now, uh, because I'm a Christian, I don't struggle with um, 
sin, I don't struggle with temptation to sin, is, mm. is foolish. That, to think that just because someone's in a leadership position somehow means that they somehow have elevated themselves above the mm. normal struggles of human <laughs> existence, of pride and avarice, um, like is, is just ridiculous. I think all of us need, need accountability. Um, yeah. And, and I think that leads, you know, there's two, there's two types of accountability and there's two types of vulnerability. Um, one is, one is discipleship. One is having friends, friendships, having people, um, that you can be honest and open with. Mm. And I think the other one is, is also having vulnerability within your marriage itself too. And the reason I, the reason I, uh, you know, say that is because one of the things I think so if we if we just talk about vulnerability in marriage for a second is that we also have kind of generational differences and church differences and traditions uh, within how a marriage should look. Um, right. So again, this idea of the role of a husband, you know, I think that there is the idea of a traditional Christian marriage, which is um, the man is the leader of yeah. the household he's the head of the household he goes to work he provides for his family uh, the wife is responsible for the rearing of children and mm -hmm. for taking care of the home and taking yeah. care of her hard-working husband um <laughs> so you know and that's that's kind of the the traditional model and that mm. kind of model in my mind i don't know what you think but it doesn't lend itself to kind of vulnerability and openness uh, no. within the marriage because the husband is he's the strong one doesn't share his emotions he's aloof to all of that emotional baggage rubbish we don't need that our marriage is built on biblical principles and yeah and we don't need to be open and honest with each other <laughs> so maybe let's talk um, about that Andy yeah. where, where do you think those I mean I think we've we've talked about this in the past but where do you think those biblical principles come from that people think that that's how how marriage I, think, I don't think they come I don't think they come from the Bible <laughs> I mean I think I think I think quite often um the way that we obviously the way that our culture works we read the Bible through our own cultural lens um and obviously you know there are bits in the Bible what was the well, Bible was written? Let's yeah, talk we can about, get into yeah, it. Let's talk let's about it. let's let's talk about one of those. So here you go. I will give you. So if I am reading um one Peter three verse seven, and if I'm reading the English standard version, I okay. would read the verse this way. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So if I'm reading that from a traditional mindset or different cultural mindset i may not understand the last part of that verse which is key mm. but i may very much pull out a woman as the weaker vessel so and yeah. i'm either going to be offended by that or i'm going to use that for justification uh for for how i exactly in my, in my family so yeah if you if you already uh feel like you should be superior or that your culture says that the man has to be superior then you're gonna read that bible verse and use it to support your already preconceived uh notions about what manhood should be and 
uh, you know, what the Bible, oh, the Bible says that you're the weaker one. So you stay at home, look after the kids while I go and save the world and provide for my family. No, we have to be careful. Obviously, providing for your family is good and important and it is yeah. biblical. Um, yeah, the there's another that Bible perhaps, verse that supports that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, perhaps me and, five, eight. yeah. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, what me and James are perhaps questioning is whether that providing for the family is only a, a husband role or whether it is slightly different. Now, I would take that same verse that you've just said, James, 1 Peter 3, 7. I have the message version in front of me. And it is interesting how different versions and translations can also um, pick up slightly different uh, emphases in scripture. So the message version says this, uh, the same goes for your husbands, be good husbands to your wives, honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages, but in the new life of God's grace, your equals, treat your wives then as equals to so your prayers don't run aground. So that is interesting because obviously I would argue that this is talking culturally because in back in the day, men did have lots of advantages over women as we still do today. Um, men at that time could go into the temple to worship, women couldn't. Uh, there was lots of advantages to being, to being uh, a man. Women but couldn't Peter, represent themselves in the court of law, for example. Exactly, lots yeah. of those things. Yeah. And But Peter's here saying that even though you have more advantages than the woman, God says in, in the new life of God's grace, you are equals. And a good husband is someone who should honor and delight in their wife and treat them as equals. So fast forwarding 2000 years to today, if we want to be good husbands, then that means we should be delighting in and loving our family, our wives and treating them as equals. Um, and how that works, how perhaps we need to, that's obviously for the family to work out um uh, the different how you work yeah. out the different roles so just going back andy to to the importance there i think one of just the key principle there is uh, when we're reading these bible verses it's really important i recommend that people read them in multiple translations because remember yeah. it is a translation from a foreign language it gives you a better mm -hmm. picture of what's going on uh, in the Bible verses. And then also we look at other areas of the Bible to help us interpret other parts of the Bible. So the right. idea of equality between man and woman is a theme throughout the Bible that we're both mm -hmm. created in God's image, male and female, God created them. Um, Amen. There is, there is a theme of different roles. There is a theme yep. of different responsibilities, but there is a theme of equality too. So if a yep. verse, when you first read it, paints a different picture from the rest of it, that's why it's then important to grab another translation and be like, hey, I, I might not be understanding this um, mm -hmm. this, this correctly. So, yeah. um, so and, and, and go for it. No, I, was, I was just going to say that, you know, for, for some families, the man being the breadwinner and the woman staying at home to look after the family, that might work for some families. That's brilliant, great. If that works for you, then and if neither of you have an, an issue with that, then that's then that's fine. But to say that that is the biblical standard that everybody should look up to is is, is wrong. It definitely mm -hmm. is wrong. 
Um, and I think it's up to each family to work out how the husband can honor and delight in his wife and, and, and vice versa. Um, and if that means both of you working and sharing child care responsibilities, brilliant. If that means the woman taking, you know, all the, 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 the responsibility to provide for the family in a financial sense and the husband is at home looking after the family in the house, then brill as well. There's, that's fine, right? There's no, that doesn't mean that one is any less of a Christian than the other. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, you know, it's funny as you were just talking there, I, I, I'm going to share another Bible verse, but it also did cross my mind too. I think there, there is, we talked about the traditional model, which is the, you know, the mm. man goes and works and he provides. There's another model as well, which I've seen, and this tends to happen with, with younger, um, younger relationships is the model. Um, and we're talking about the other extreme now where there is an issue where the man is lazy too, where the husband is lazy right? Uh, and the husband's looking for, basically he's looking for his mum in his wife, someone to, and a bad picture of a mum, but someone that just yeah. kind of takes care of him and he has no responsibilities and he lives life the way that he wants to do and what's fun for yeah. him. Um, and he's very self-absorbed too. Yes. That that is another real issue with men too. So we have the yeah. we have the aloof, the the leader, and then we also have the the kid that hasn't left his mum's basement husband too. Yeah. Two extremes of dealing with neither one, neither yeah. one is healthy. I think what we're getting at here though is that that we have to look at, and, and we believe that we could we can look at the Bible. And we can look at the examples that are given us in the gospel, the example of Jesus, um, yeah. that, that, that helps us navigate, navigate definitely what it doesn't look like and right. what it looks like. Because again, neither the harsh leader nor the leader can stand up to the message that we see in the Bible. So the key verse for me, and we shared this before when we talked about being, being dads, uh, mm. is Ephesians 5. Um, yeah. And again, it's one of those kind of controversial verses because of the word submit that it uses um, towards mm. wives. But just a reminder, again, uh, later on, it says submit to one another. So again, it's it's don't just take this verse in context, but but listen, yeah. especially to the direction towards husbands. So wives submit to your husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water uh, with the word, so that he may mm. present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love the wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself and it goes on it's a yeah. really it's a really complex and and deep set of verses and this is idea of it's picturing marriage as this relationship between jesus and the church so the idea mm. of the relationship is we as the church we as christians we submit ourselves to jesus because he gave himself up for us he yeah. uh, even though he's god he became nothing and died on a cross for us, living a life mm -hmm. of sacrifice. The king of all became the servant of all. 
So that is the picture which it's asking us to do in marriage, which is mind-blowing. So it's saying... How can we live up to that? <laughs> it's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. You're going to play the role of the church. And husbands want you to play the role of Jesus. We want you to give up everything, even mm -hmm. though you may have, you know, the opportunity to be in power and to mm -hmm. be use your strength. Instead, we want you to give it all up and be yes. the servant. And that's how mm -hmm. we want you to lead. We want you to lead from the bottom and exactly. to put the needs, uh, the dreams and the spiritual health of your wife yeah. before yourself. Um, yeah. How how are we serving our wives? That's a, that's a good question to ask yourself every now and again. I'm just going to add a, another verse onto that because because mm -hmm. what does a what does a what does a good husband look like? And you've just said one of those things. Well, it's someone who serves their wife just as as Christ served His church. And then Colossians three nineteen again in the Message version version says this: Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. So a good husband is one who serves his wife as Christ served uh, his church and who goes all out in love for his wife and doesn't take advantage of her. So I wonder, yeah. wow, I wonder what that would look like if husbands, sure. all the churches went all out in love for their wives and, yeah. and served them as Christ served the church. And I can see, I can see devil's advocates out there, Andy, and I can see them <laughs> saying, oh, hold on a minute. What happens if here. the wife? <laughs> what happens if the wife takes advantage of us, though? You know, what yeah. happens? You know, all this kind of stuff too. <laughs> and I always think that my my quick answer to that, obviously, is a lot more complicated. But it was like, yeah. So what? Yeah. Christ was but, taken advantage of. That's that's the point. We open ourselves up um, yeah. to being taken advantage of, because ultimately. That's what it means to be sacrificial. Um, and also I find, I find that the kind of person who would ask that is the person who is actually meaning that his wife isn't washing his clothes the way that he washes them. And he's been taken advantage of because he has to, you know, help out, do his fair share of work around the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I think we joked about that when we did, when we talked about fatherhood too. And I was saying about my pet peeve being, dads that say something to me being a stay-at-home dad say something like i could never even watch my kids for a day and i think your poor wife so yeah. uh yeah, yeah. so that's right uh, it's i think so and again it's a it's a it's a, a it's putting off responsibility it's saying my role as a husband because and basically it comes down to because i can't breastfeed my children somehow <laughs> that now negates my responsibility in the rearing of my children right um, so you know so <laughs> which, which is, is just, absolutely crazy which right is just insane um yeah i've just got one more one more <laughs> verse just to throw out there for everybody it's uh, ecclesiastes 9 9 and i love ecclesiastes because the writer of ecclesiastes he's just so blunt and tells it tells it how it is which is what people like nowadays so listen to this it says this enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So basically, life is really hard. You know, where life is really hard, but actually loving your wife makes it slightly more bearable. And so one of the husband's duties 
is is to find ways of enjoying your wife and vice versa being together because life is hard and let's you know let's make the most of it whilst we are here on this earth under the sun and i suppose just just one last thing from andy um some people keep on talking about well it's we need to uphold the biblical the biblical family model uh, we always hear that, don't we? You know, if, and, and what they mean is the husband, you know, the husband and the wife's role. But if you want to actually look at a biblical family, I'm always thinking, well, the families that I see in the Bible are where the husband has lots of wives, we have concubines, and there's slaves to help out, you know, raising the kids. So it, 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 is that what we mean by a biblical, <laughs> a biblical family? Is, is that if, yeah. if we're trying to support the biblical family, then, then that is it um yeah. it's only yeah. anyway so obviously that's well no and, and again again if you're talking about a cultural family even a family uh, that didn't have concubines and slaves the main work and labor would have happened within the home everything would have yeah. orientated around the home itself because it would have been an agricultural society yeah um so the man and the woman and the children all would have been involved in labor uh, within exactly. the home too so, exactly yeah anyway. so i think i think we've given some some good principles there james because obviously i think <laughs> this is what the bible does i, I hope that, we that have very, anyway. that, i hope we have yeah i was like i hope we have confident. but you know some very yeah of there, like so. you know yeah. what obviously we're talking about you know just this little bit about what a husband's duties are and sometimes people say well the husband's duty is to provide for the family to to, to be the strong one and, and and protect and all that and, and that might be true, but the principles that we've just been talking about are actually more about loving, supporting, delighting in and serving your wife. Yeah. Um, and those are the principles. And then how we work that out now in 2021 in, in the British, Brazilian or American culture, um, well, that's up for offers. And that's what you'd have to work out with your wife. But as long as you're using those principles of loving, serving, delighting in, uh, then you're not going to go too far wrong uh, in mm -hmm. what you decide yeah. to do. Well, Andy, why don't we try and finish with uh, a top top four tips or top five tips? We'll see. I say mm. top four tips. We always we always end up providing more tips than than yeah. than four. Uh, and again, this is just mine and Andy's thoughts. Again, just a reminder: call to the far shore. We're not, we're not pretending that Andy and I uh, know anything. Uh, we're just trying to create discussions, um, yeah. you guys to have uh, just thoughts, rabbit holes for you to dive down. Again, don't listen to the far shore before you go to bed, because <laughs> who knows what rabbit hole it will take you on. Um, but anyway, so here we go. Um, am I starting you or you starting? Yeah, you, well, okay. yeah you, you kick us off. Okay, so I'm going to go for, and I, I, we should just break this apart a little bit because, again, we just said earlier how uh, Christians like to use fancy words sometimes so um, that sound good. It's a good sound bite, but, but what do we actually mean? So my first tip is focusing on spiritual health. So again, this is a great, if you go to a marriage conference, oh boy, that they, they love this one. This is it. Um, yeah. And this is <laughs> it. Then. And and <laughs> and I and it's and it's a tricky one, but it's one I I, I think is true too. So there's this idea that um, our spiritual health is is important to our marriage health. And I think mm. the way I would the way I would define this is a bit like what we talked about today, is I can look to some great marriage counselor. 
Um, I can look to a great marriage that I respect. Um, and, and those things can be helpful. They, they're not always yeah. end in disaster. There are some good marriages out there. You know, this is not all doom and gloom. The problem is I can't put all my eggs in one basket and say yeah. that how that marriage book or how that marriage council or how that married couple live is the way that I'm going to copy and works. What ultimately it is going to work is, is copying the example of Jesus. So the mm. verses that we shared today is part of the whole gospel story about what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to live as Jesus. And I truly believe that if we are trying to model what it means to live as Jesus did, to live a life of love and sacrifice, of unselfishness, that ultimately is going to be key and core um, to being uh, to being a good husband. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Good foundations are, you know, a husband and wife who who can pray together and 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 I think it goes, you know, be transparent together. You know, disciple each other. I think is 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 kind of what you're getting at as well. Mm -hmm. I think those that's 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 really really good. Um, so I asked Rosie. I asked her. I asked her three things in which I could in which I could improve. And she said, Andy, uh, the first thing you can improve is, is, is to pay more attention to what I say. And then I can't remember the other two things that she said. <laughs> so that was oh, just a <laughs> <laughs> oh. Those are just bad. Anyway, bad, bad, bad jokes. Anyway, bad so, jokes, so yeah. yeah, yeah, which is what, that's what husbands do, right? That's one of the husband's duty. Is, is that uh, your tip? Come up. Bad jokes. Yeah, that's, yeah just do bad yeah. jokes all the time. Bad jokes as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I suppose, I suppose my, yeah, one of my tips would be, would be this. I, I was one of the good books that I found on, on family, actually being family rather than being a husband, but it's, it's a book by Rob, Rob Parsons, I think called the 60 minute family. And in it, he talks about, um, being able to love in January and that's not the kind of x-rated stuff you do in the winter months because just because it's cold you're not talking about that kind of loving um he was told the story of of when he went on on holiday summer holiday to um a place in wales and for our american friends wales is part of the uk a beautiful place uh not so good to go in the winter but he went in the summer and it was a beautiful beach and he just he was going for a walk you know God's creation was on, you know, display that day. And he was just next to a local fisherman. And uh, the guy commented, Rob said, you know, what a beautiful place you live in. And the fisherman just said, well, you should see it in January. As in, you know, it looks good now because it's the sun's out, but you know, come back when it's cold and wet and gray. And um, and it's, yeah, so it's, it, was, it was about that, if you are, able to love in January and to have a relationship where when things get tough and they do in anyone's marriage and it's not always sunny days uh, when perhaps it's a bit more difficult to love uh, perhaps when your marriage vows are called into question you promised to love me in riches but what about when we're poor you know you promised to love me when we're healthy what about now when we're going through a a real health issue um it's about being able to do that and, and realizing that 
probably they will be a few Januaries in your marriage. And, and yeah, just to be able to, to be able to love still in January. So yeah, not really a very practical one. <laughs> I don't know no, no, no. Well, I think it is. I think it's just prep. I think it's it's real. It's realism too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I think it's funny. We've done a little bit of premarital counselling, and and I, I think sometimes there is that perspective of a young couple yeah. that are coming to marriage that it will be summer, um, but oftentimes there are a lot of parts of marriage which are our winter you go through difficulty yeah. bereavement yeah. sickness yeah uh yeah everything. no it, everything having kids yeah. is 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 messy being a family it it is it is messy yeah. and, and having having that good perspective and also just taking those vows seriously taking those vows mm-hmm. that you make to each other and before yeah. god seriously as well yeah. and exactly. within those times as well yeah. Um, my next tip is we talked about it earlier, but it's accountability, accountability mm. with the right person. So not just accountability with your wife, but I think we talked before it's, it, you know, a lot of uh, what we talk about comes back to discipleship. We are built to live out our faith in relationship with other people too. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, do we have, um, do we have people that we can talk to and honestly Mm. do we have guys that we can talk to having the right accountability partner this is not finding some uh some girlfriend that you can talk about your wife's problems (laughs) with because that (laughs) is going to lead to like if you do that you're already in trouble so slippery slope that's yeah yeah so i but i'll I'll just say it anyway just in case anyone's anyone's dumb enough to try it um because they are let's be honest um (laughs) they will do um so but yeah finding finding a good um friend uh that you can be accountable to and you can be honest and open with um about what you struggle with um again if you you sometimes just have to approach someone to sometimes you have to take the first step um it's never easy to go to someone and say hey i struggle with this i need help with this i need someone to hold me accountable um But I think taking that step is is huge and it's helpful and it will be important um, for your marriage too. Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah. and it also takes the pressure off your wife to be your accountability partner. You have to have the honesty and openness yeah, within true. your marriage relationship. But I think having help and support from outside is, yeah. is, is important too. So Yeah. No, good one, James. I've got two actually. So we probably okay. we are going to hit five unless you've got another one and then we'll do a six, but yeah. So so I'll do two two much more practical ones this time. Um, okay. For me, it's and this might be for other husbands is is don't trivialize your wife's problems. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is this is. It's always going to be practical. This one, I this might just be my problem, but I think as especially for me, I'm quite easygoing. And even when problems arise, I am quite quick to, to try and see the positive because I'm an optimist and, mm-hmm. and try and work it out straight away. I don't really dally you know, on, on the problem itself. Um, and that can sometimes really annoy Rosie because <laughs> like Rosie comes to me with, 
you know, an issue which is, you know, she has a problem or an issue which is really important to her and she shares it with me and I just swat it away. It's, oh, that's not important. Or, you know, that's, you know, that's not a problem. We can just do this and this and this. And suddenly I go on to the kind of the problem solver in me comes to the front. But actually Rose doesn't want her problem to be solved. You know, she wants me to, uh, to listen to her and to validate her feelings of, you know, this is a really big issue to me. She doesn't want me to solve it. And so I think for me, sometimes I, I have to be careful when Rosie does come to me and open and honestly, you know, to talk to me about something, I have to really bite my tongue um, to not to be quick to fix the problem, even if the problem does need to be fixed, there needs to be a time where we can be together, you know, in front of this big problem and, and just validate those feelings before we're able to move on uh, through mm -hmm. it. So yeah, so don't trivialize things. And that's something that I've had to, I've, I don't know if, it's, like I said, I don't know if that's just me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I'm a fixer too. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fixer. But it, plays out differently um you know it's funny if we're going to get practical as you were saying that you know um i think a a practical a practical thing i would say too is as as you as you move through marriage when we talk about serving um serving mm -hmm. our wives is is find out what's actually helpful to serve your wives i think sometimes as husbands <laughs> we have an idea of what we think of what we think is helpful or what we think mm -hmm. would be serving our wives um yeah. you know uh, it's funny, Megan um, is uh, very organized. She's going to laugh when she hears that because anyway, that's another story. So, well, I'm, just, I'm just going to tell this story just so you can know what an idiot husband I am. Uh, we once had this interview a long time ago. It was for, for fostering and um, they were interviewing us as a couple, you know, just seeing how we ticked. And they said, could you tell me, you know, maybe what things do you love most about Megan? And the first thing that came to my mind was I said, oh, she's really organized. <laughs> so Megan has, Megan has beaten me, beaten me about that ever since, ever since. So anyway, but she is, she's very organized. Um, she likes to keep the house clean um, and likes to get tasks done. Like she doesn't want to leave stuff for tomorrow. She wants to get it done today. And I am not that way. Um, I'm a little bit more scatterbrained. I'm a little bit more, I will leave what needs to be done tomorrow, tomorrow, or maybe the day after, um, mm. if I can. Um, so the thing is like, so my idea is like, how would I, how would I love my wife? Let's say I'd be like, oh, I'll just buy nice gifts. I plan out, you know, romantic gestures, candlelit dinner. Um, wow. Actually what Megan would love uh, would be the task to be done you know, yeah. uh, I always I joke with her, the, the biggest romantic gesture I can make is dusting the ceiling fans. Um, and, and we say that in a joking way, but I think that there is, there is truth to it too. I think sometimes as husbands, we decide how our wives should be loved and how yeah. we can bet we don't actually consider uh, how does our wife want to be loved? How does she want yeah. to be served uh, rather than us deciding what, what service looks like? Because that isn't serving someone. When we decide the terms in which our, yeah. our wives are going to be served, that's not actually yeah. serving them. That's us just being like, well, this is easy for me. This is the way I want to do it. So I'm going to do yeah. it this way. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great, James. Those the love languages again. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Of Megan's love language is obviously household tasks. 
<laughs> you know what? Those those love languages, they do crack me up. I, I know. They're every time every time I get together, you know, with couples and it comes up, there is what I think what I think is wrong about the way love languages are done is people say on the flip side here, countering a little bit what I just said, but there's this idea be like, well, I love language. And if you don't know, there's this book and there's all these love languages, yeah. <laughs> physical touch, gifts, acts of service, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, people love them. But I'll say things like this. Like, I'll be like, my love language is gifts. But you know what? Andy, Andy keeps trying to spend time with me. And that's not my love language. So he needs to send me gifts. Uh, and I always crack up and I'd be like, maybe it should be the other way around. Maybe I should be like, since Andy likes giving gifts, then yeah. I should remember that when Andy gives me gifts, it is a way of him showing that he loves me yeah, uh, or spending time yeah. with me. Or spending time. Yeah. 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 I want gifts though. Anyway, I just love exactly. language. Just can be just used as a weapon. I think sometimes just a kind of silly, uh, silly aside. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of, yeah, speaking of spending time, then this is my last my last one for us to finish off, off. And it's something that actually I've been thinking a lot about recently because we're about to move to England. And whenever these kind of like big moments happen in your life, it's like we have it each year when the new year comes around, you kind of plan new things that you do for the next year or, you know, so now at the moment it's, you know, when we're in England, we can start doing this or that. And I think sometimes rather than just planning things, you, we need to, to seize the moment. And if you're planning on wanting to spend more time with your wife, then don't just wait for it to happen. And don't just wait for you to spend more time with your kids. You know, you need to really do it in the moment. And um, I went through a, a, um, a little activity the other day. Um, and I worked out how many Saturdays I would have in my life. Oh, 75, 75, if I was to live to, to, to 75, do you know how many Saturdays you would have in your, if you would live to 75? You would have 3,900 Saturdays. Doesn't seem very much. And I'm about to turn 36 next uh, month and in a few weeks time. And I worked it out that I only have about 2,000 Saturdays left in my life if I was to live to 75. Now, obviously my kids are gonna leave home way before those 2000 Saturdays are up. And I need to really seize the moment. And so when weekends come around, when I've got free time, am I using it to spend time with my kids? Am I using it to spend time with my wife? Or am I just waiting, making plans? To do, I'll do that some other time. But so, so for all of us, you know, seize the moment. And there was a there was a quite a an emotional story actually when I was going through this activity of, of a guy who actually went out and he worked out he only had like another one and a half thousand Saturdays left and he went out and bought one and a half thousand marbles and he put them in a jar and every Saturday he would take out a marble from his jar from his jar and uh, on his seventy fifth birthday he was with his family and took out the last the last marble from his jar. And it's like, well, any other Saturdays I have are now bonuses. And so anyway, so it's just a very practical way of just realizing so he how... So watched, he watched TV and, and football for the rest of the Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, that's right, for those Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just about, yeah, it's just about just making, just seizing, seizing the moment and just yeah. really just spending, 
from that Ecclesiastes verse of, you know, life's hard. So make the most yeah. of it with the family that you have. Sorry, sorry for ruining that emotional, emotional <laughs> story. At the end. Well, Andy, I'm going to go. We always do. I'm going to go. I'm going to go after we finish the podcast today. I'm going to go and weep as I'm playing games with my children this afternoon. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening today, everyone. Uh, we hope mm. it's been helpful. Probably, probably, maybe. Who knows, maybe. Andy? Who knows? Hey, who knows? Maybe. 50, 51% of marriages end in divorce. So as long as we have 52% of people l- listening to this podcast who actually found those tips helpful, then we're winning, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah, no, it is. It is a real, it is a, depressing depressing issue there is there is there is definitely a sickness and i think we've we mm. comes up again and again there, there really is a an issue within um within within the church culture right now we really do yeah. we've really lost lost something and i think a lot of people feel it i think a lot of people in our mm. generation and really feel like there's there's something inherently mm. broken um about what's going on and obviously that inherent brokenness is rooted uh, is not unexpected um yeah but but still it, it, it is depressing when when we see these statistics uh yeah. within the within the church too so yeah yeah anyway there we go low note to finish low note to finish well we will see everyone next week and we'll we'll discuss our thoughts on on how england had done by then england may have been in a quarterfinal by the time we record our next hey. our next podcast so who knows we'll either knows? be in in jubilation or picking out the european country if if england of all the countries left in andy yeah if england don't win who who's your None. who would be your backup <laughs> who would be my second would you country have a yeah i would probably want denmark <laughs> Denmark to win, you're jumping on the emotional bandwagon. So just because of what you told me offline. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, people don't know the reference there. We We had we had a long 10-minute football chat before we started today. Yeah. Uh, I think I think my backup country has always been Czech Republic. I really I grew up remembering the red and white checkered shirt. Yeah. Always like Pavorsky. Was it Pavorsky? Yeah, Pavorsky. Yeah, was it Czech Republic? Oh, was it? Oh, this is one. Is he? Was he Croatian or Czech Republic? That's the problem. I'm just having. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the that's the key. Yeah, Luka Modric is is Croatian, right? That's the we're thinking yeah. the Croatian team. So, but no, yeah. Czech Republic. They are the underdogs. Uh, they're the team that no one expects to do anything. So, so I'm always <laughs> if England don't make it, I'm always rooting for the underdog. Yeah, we so. want the underdogs, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks cool. everybody. Okay. Yep. See you all again soon on the far shore. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. To learn more about the work of Revive International, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, revive-international.org. Please subscribe to keep track of new episodes. We look forward to you joining us on our next journey being called to the far shore.